This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome to the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast. Tom Oates with you again. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen and be a part of this special community. A reminder for you, you can subscribe to the Information Gateway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud to make sure you receive each new episode as we release them. We are continuing our series here on prevention and focusing on the work of the community-based child abuse prevention grantees, the CBCAP grantees. And today we're looking at evaluating prevention efforts. Now, we're gonna take a look at this across two episodes, one focused on the micro level of evaluating specific programs, and one episode looking at the macro level of evaluating prevention across an entire state. So this episode dives into the micro level. We're focusing on what's going on in Kentucky, and specifically with a program receiving CBCAP funds called Community Collaborations for Children. This is an in-home services program operated by the state's Division of Protection and Permanency. Now, as we talk about evaluation to ensure programs are delivering on the intended outcomes, and when it comes to prevention, we're generally talking about the reduction of abuse and neglect cases or the reduction of families coming into contact with the child welfare system. I want you to pay attention to the different levels of evaluation that's laid out by our guests, Lynn Mason and Belina Turner from Kentucky's Division of Protection and Permanency. They've implemented evaluation using data collection from their engagement with families. They're also monitoring data in progress from a statewide and region-wide approach. And they've now embarked on applying all of this within a continuous quality improvement approach. Well, we start the conversation with Lynn Mason describing the Community Collaborations for Children program and the services they're providing families. So, Belina and Lynn, let's just first start off talking about the the community collaborations for children that's uh, going on in Kentucky. And give me a little bit of the background here on on this. It's an in-home services program. So talk to me about the target audience and and how you're really receiving this audience. How How are these referrals coming to you? Okay, here in Kentucky, we utilize an in-home services program and it's called Community Collaborations for Children, as you mentioned. Um, That is funded by the CBCAP grant that we are awarded. Um, And here in Kentucky, we serve families statewide. So in every county, every region across the state, we provide in-home services to families. We receive our referrals as a result of uh, community partners, um, self-referrals, you know, individuals that just may hear about our program and need services, family, friends, the child welfare agency. The only referrals that we actually receive from the child welfare agency are those that do not have any um, substantiated findings of abuse or neglect. Our services are free. Um, As I mentioned before, they're available to any family that feels like that they need further assistance. All right. So, 
So Lynn, explain to me then, you know, what exactly are you providing the families that you're that you're reaching out to? Well, here in the state of Kentucky, we provide a nurturing parenting uh, curricula to our families. Um, it's an evidence-based curricula um, where we provide um, services to the family for eight to 12 weeks in their home. Um, it's as an effort to prevent any barriers, um, you know, related to transportation, um, scheduling conflicts, and, you know, it really gives us an opportunity to work with the family one-on-one without them having to go anywhere else. We work on housing, we work on budgeting, we work on, you know, if, if they have um, issues related to communication, you know, regarding maybe their child's school, we help them with that. We help them with school involvement. We connect them to, you know, mental health agencies. We really try to work with the family to prevent, you know, any barriers or any risks that may be, uh, that, that, that may exist in the exist family, in the family yes, to um, prevent, you know, any future um, high-risk issues, you know, that would result in abuse and neglect of the children in the home. So with that, and it sounds like there's obviously a diverse amount of, of either, you know, resources or, um, you know, uh, kind of topics that you're working with families on. So with that, you know, kind of diverse array to, to kind of saying, how are you engaging the families? I'm curious now, as we start to dive into the evaluation, what are the tools and the assessments that you're using to then collect data? Okay. We utilize um, what's called the NICFSG tool, which is the North Carolina Family Assessment Scale tool. And there are actually 10 domains that we look at in that tool. Um, a few of those domains include the environment of the family, parental capabilities, family safety, child well-being, among others. Um, and with that tool, they they evaluate, they you know, there's a scale. Um, either there's a the family is identified, you know, in, for environment. If they um, assess that family and determine that they have a serious problem related to housing or, um, you know, or concerns with their housing or maybe they have lack of housing and they have a serious problem, then they want to try to help that family to either move up to the next scale of adequate or that you know, eventually they have a clear strength. For instance, if they if they don't have housing, we want to assist them with obtaining appropriate housing. Or if they have housing that is unsafe for the children, then we want to help them to have a home that is safe for the children. Um, in addition to that, um, we do, with the NICFSG, we do a pretest. So when we first start our services with the family, we do a pretest just to see where the family is. And at the end of our services with the family, we do a post-test just to see if they have improved in those domains. For instance, if child well-being was an issue and it was a serious problem, we want to make sure that that is no longer an issue related to that family. Um, another assessment that we use is the Ages and Stages Questionnaire 3 and the Ages and Stages Questionnaire Social and Emotional. And these are used, um, the worker actually completes these assessments with the family um, to determine if the, any child under the age of five has any developmental delays. And if those children are identified to have any developmental delays, then they either refer them to services 
um, which they, they should be doing all the time, referring them to services. For instance, Head Start, preschool are some of the services that we have here in Kentucky, as well as that ASQ um, workbook has uh, worksheets in it to for the worker to do with the family to enhance those skills with the child, to work on their developmental delays. Um, so those are some of the assessments that we use. As I mentioned, we use uh, the parenting curricula that we use is the nurturing parenting curricula. In the past, we had three other parenting curriculums that we used, but we realized that there wasn't um, consistency with that, especially when you know we're covering the entire state and the nurturing parenting curricula seems to work more effectively with our the families that we serve. And with that curricula, we also do a pre and post test as well. So we do a pre-test with the family just to kind of see where they are. And then when we complete our services um, within eight to 12 weeks, we do a post-test. Just and, and if they are still, you know, on any of these, especially the NICFS G and the nurturing parenting, if they um, are not showing significant improvement, then that gives us an opportunity to continue services with that family. So typically we serve families for eight to 12 weeks. However, we do have some families that require longer than that time, and we don't just limit them to that you know, specific time frame. So with all of that data that you're able to collect, you know, and also the testing that you're able to do with each individual family, you know, now I'm curious to how does the state take a look at this and how does how does this information then, then either get shared, get used and to get implemented to, to, to make sure that the programs themselves are not only benefiting the individual families, but then you can learn from them to, for that continuous quality improvement. So when we talked before we recorded, um, we went over this various tiers of evaluation, this kind of three tiers of evaluation and dealing with a, the, a, a database about the in-home services database and then a peer exchange level where you're starting to pe get people of like-minded and, and like professions to start to turn around and say, Hattie, how do we how do we execute that that CQI? And then, you know, looking at this from a state or a region-wide kind of tool to then monitor, hey, how are we doing as a region or how are we doing as a state? So let me pull back to the in-home services database about, you know, what's collected and measured in the database because you're getting so much diverse information uh, out of the assessments. Well, actually, the database, first of all, let me say that in Kentucky, we have found that it's pretty difficult to evaluate prevention because with the, you know, CBCAP, the goal is to prevent initial abuse of any child. So that means that you don't, I mean, that's the general population. So if you, what are you gonna compare that to? So that's a bit of an issue. So what we've tried to do is we've, we've for, I've been doing this for 22 years in Kentucky. So through the years we have enhanced and changed and revised the database to hopefully be more effective in what we collected and how we collected it, making it easier for the workers, giving us more information. So some of the things, we collect all the information we can about a family, like the composition of the family. Are there two parents? Is it a grandparent raising a child? Is it an aunt? Who, who is actually living with that child? The age of the children, sometimes the age of the parents or the caretaker, because we all know that if you have a grandparent who's 80 and they're raising a 14-year-old, there are issues that are different than if you have a 30-year-old mother and father because grandparents, you know, it's been a long time since they've had teenagers in their in their uh, home. 
So that's one of the things. Those are some of the things. It's all about the demographics of that family. In addition, we collect um, the NICFIS G-scores because so in the database, the NICFIS that Belina was talking about, we collect those scores. And one of the things that I think we need to make sure that everyone knows, I don't know if everyone is familiar with that particular tool, but one of the things that is beneficial, it's, it's not, though it is somewhat subjective, there are very specific definitions of each of the subsets under the domains. So for example, under housing stability, the, if you have a serious problem, they're threatened with, with eviction. They can't pay their rent. Um, they don't have housing at all, or they're living in a car, or they're living with a friend, or they're house jumping because they're living different places. So that is a very big definition that tells you exactly what that looks like. So that if I enter that, I can say, okay, my family is threatened with, with eviction. Melina can say if mine doesn't meet mortgage. And so we're both rating that family the same way. So in terms of consistency, you pretty much know where a family stands on that tool. So that's a real important thing, too, because it gives us better and more uh, genuine information, I think. Um, we also, because our goal is to, if any child, the ASQ3, that's the, um, and the, the social emotional assessments, the, the developmental assessments, we want that for all children five and under. That's the that's the criteria. And sometimes it's a it's a tool that's done with the parents. So sometimes it takes a little longer for that to get in to the system than others. But we want to make sure that as many of those children as possible are tested and uh, are are evaluated. Tested is the wrong word. They're evaluated for their developmental levels. Um, we also look at the number of children and parents with disabilities because we know that sometimes either of those groups can cause a family to be more at risk. Um, for example, if you have a family that has never experienced, and they're young and they've never experienced a child in a wheelchair, and suddenly they have a child who's gonna have to be in a wheelchair, there are things that they need to know that they may not know they need to know because that's never happened to them. So we want to make sure that we are giving them every possible advantage and every possible resource that they can find to take care of those children. And if the parent has a disability, we want to do the same thing because our goal is to keep children and families together, safe in their home, and that they have the resources they need to survive and to flourish. So that's those are some of the things that we um, are gathering. The other thing is we have uh, in our databases also we have case notes. We have cases for... Um, we have all kinds of information about the family and the case notes are something that can be read and any supervisor or any worker can go back and see, they can refer to that to see where their family was and where they are now because sometimes you forget that. So case notes are even a very important tool that's a little different from just numbers. Um, and though it is not, the, you know, it's a little bit more subjective. It still is something that we use quite a lot and supervisors use it too. The only other thing that we really want to make sure that we're doing is that we are tracking the number of referrals we make because the more referrals you make for a family, the more resources they have. And the more resources they have, you hope, the better they're going to be able to maintain their children safely and that their home's going to be adequate. Um, and some of our regions, 
additional services are very difficult to find. We have some extremely rural regions. We have a couple of, re of counties. We have 120 counties in Kentucky, which is huge numbers of counties. And we have some of our more rural regions that are on the border of some of the states. They like maybe have two places to work. I mean, th there's very little there. And so a lot of the time, churches may be your, your referral source. And they sometimes the workers have to be very creative. So it's nice to know whether they were, were referred to as to an additional service and maybe even where that is, because then that can be shared and everybody can perhaps get a better handle on where resources in, is in some of the more rural or um, distressed counties. Sure. And there's, there's, there, and you just uh, really hit it in the last, uh, just in saying what you just said toward the end about sharing the data. And with so much that gets collected and you're able to look at it, you know, so many different ways and they can kind of paint a lot of different pictures. So I'm curious then with all of that data, how is it used across the state or even across regions to not only measure effectiveness, but really to make decisions off that data? Is there kind of a, a recurring, um, you know, review or is this done kind of at an ad hoc basis because the data is always available. I'm curious what the state or the regions do with the data in terms of making their strategic directions moving forward. Well, honestly, the first thing that we do, Belina and I receive reports quarterly, and we send those to each region so that they can see their own data and they can see other people's data. You can kind of get a handle on what's going on between regions. They can look and see how they're doing. And for one thing, it cleans up your data so that if you look at and you see that you have four workers and two of them have not entered this or that, or it seems like they're struggling in an area because that's been pervasive, you can then go in and correct that and your data becomes more legitimate. In addition, it is a way for them to kind of judge where they stand and where they are in the cases that they have that are active and cases that they have that are closed. They can track the numbers. We have them propose a number of cases that they plan to complete in a year. It gives them a tool to make sure that we're on the same page, that they have the same number that we have, you know, that, that everybody is, is looking at everything pretty much the same. The other thing is it also has assisted us in changing some of our past parenting curricula uh, because we have seen that some things seem to be more effective and based on the data, the people, the regions that used a particular curriculum seem to be having better outcomes. So we were able to make some decisions about that. The biggest, one of the biggest things, however, is it really does assist you in areas of training. Because if you can see that, that there's a, an area that the whole state seems to be working, for example, one of the things that we that we hear is because there's so many kids now that are on the autism spectrum it is very difficult to find trainers in that area and so a lot of the regions have not been able to do that so melina and i have been looking for that because we believe that that will improve some of our outcomes for families that have children who have autism if, if the workers understand that spectrum better and understand how they can work with those kids and how they can work with those families so that's one. Training is another thing. Um, it tells us, it tells Melina and I, if we need to go and work with a, a particular region because their data is significantly uh, lacking in a, in a specific area, not just overall, but, you know, maybe they're really struggling with one area. And sometimes that can be as simple as there are no mental health services that are readily available. The waiting list is long. 
there may not be anything we can do about that because we don't have the money to you know hire a new therapist. However, it can give us an idea of why they're struggling, and at least we're able to justify for ourselves and for the funding sources that this is why this is happening, and we know it, and we've made, uh, you know, we we've talked to the people who maybe could make those changes. Um, so that's another thing. Uh, we also have a satisfaction survey that we do with families at the end of the services, and that's very beneficial because it kind of gives you uh, a measure of your consumer. Is your consumer satisfied? Does your consumer feel like they're getting something out of this? And I think that a lot of places, a lot of databases don't catch that in the same way because this has a little piece of narrative and then it's got questions and you can have comments. And it's been real interesting because we get a lot of information on those satisfaction surveys that you don't get in a, a number a number of database. So those are those are some of the ways that we've really um, been able to use that. And also, one other thing, it does show sometimes it shows a service array gap, and and that's a good thing because we also serve on some of the child welfare uh, subcommittees, and we're, since we're part of child welfare, we can certainly report that back, and we can say, you know, in these two regions, this seems to be a pervasive problem, and that's a very beneficial thing I think for everyone. So. It's a huge impact, especially, and it's and it's it's really really valuable, especially as and this kind of led us on to this you know other part of the evaluation kind of spectrum that you're uh, executing in Kentucky of using CQI, uh, and a lot of times your findings then help you know foster hey where do we go from here how do we improve but you guys are trying to use CQI in a different way to kind of aid in your program evaluation. Would you be able to kind of you know walk through where you guys are, are starting in in kind of using CQI in this way? Well, this is real interesting because for years and years, um, when Friends, which is the National Resource Center for CDCAP, when they very first initiated the uh, peer exchange process, we jumped on that with both feet. And through the years, we've done that probably for 15 to 18 years. And through the years, we have made so many valuable changes in our service array and in our services and in our database and in our hiring procedures the whole gamut. It has. It was so helpful, and we noticed in the last few years, it had kind of became tired. It felt like that people, you know, they had done it, and it's it is a reactive kind of uh, fix. So it reacts to things at the end of the year. CQI is more proactive, so that issues and problems can be brought forth at any time during the year. You don't have to wait till you have a meeting in May and then discuss what's happened. The I will tell you this, the cabinet, our cabinet for our child welfare system, they are, we've had a CQI process for years and they're kind of re-upping it to um, match it with or the needs of families first. And so we are hoping to be able to be more in uh, dancing in tandem and CQI with the cabinet. Uh, as opposed to just being by ourselves, because we were really the only ones that did the peer exchange. But it is such a switch for us and for our providers that we are we are still in the, we had hoped to be farther than this, but we're still in the planning stages. We have a CQI core team that is working on the implementation. So we have three groups of, that are, one supervisor's group that's going to receive the issues that come in and begin to work on um, the, you know, a resolution or possibilities. And then we have one for the, super, the supervisors, the staff, and then we have one for our parents. 
because we want parents to be able to participate in that. CQI in Kentucky, and I think this is the way it always does, the issues go up and then they come down and you hope when they come back down, you have a resolution to at least consider. Uh, you know, you may try it and it may not work, but then you send it back up. So it goes up through a system, through a, a process. <clears throat> so those CQI groups would then send it to Belina and I. And if it was something that was beyond us, we would send it on into the child welfare system for it to come back down. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's what we're hoping to find as time goes on. But again, we're in the infancy stages of this. And it is such a switch that we're finding it to have caused a lot of confusion. So we're going to back up a little bit and try to redefine things for those three groups and see if we can't get started um, more successfully. You know, trying to get the ball rolling in a process like this is 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 a huge effort, and hopefully, once momentum is set and and you get into a rhythm, it can it can it can prove uh, fruitful. So, uh, and the final part of this whole you know um, evaluation approach is really kind of looking at it from a state or a region wide, asking the questions: Hey, how are we doing as a state or as a region? And so, from when we were talking earlier, you mentioned a monitoring tool, kind of, uh, and I, I think for for me, I'd look at it as a dashboard. But I'm curious of what uh, what the, the uses are for you to look at, you know, all of this kind of data that is coming across uh, for the various ways you are interacting with families. So talk to me about the tool that's being implemented. Okay. We have a monitoring tool. And actually, Lynn and I serve, you know, we are housed, as she mentioned, with the Child Welfare Agency, but we are housed with the Prevention Services Branch. And on that branch um, is an Eric, you know, is... We have CCC services as well as family preservation services. Um, so, anyways, we through all of those contracts, all of those in-home services have, are monitored or have contracts in place. And a monitoring tool is developed every year by the child welfare agency for those contracts, just to make sure that you know they're complying with. Um, services, that they're um, meeting the number of families that they propose, because each agency proposes a number of families, and then we decide if we are going to accept that or um, that they intend to serve. However, those families, you know, they may just complete assessments on those families, but we look at those closed, completed cases. I mean, that, for us, if you, if you actually work with that family for the 8 to 12 weeks, then that is your the number of families that you've served for the year. Um, the monitoring tool it looks at um, it measures effectiveness uh, based upon um, if the the number like I mentioned the number of families served um, if they've completed you know the worker is completed uh, the appropriate assessments with the family the NICSG the ASQ um, if they completed um, the, parent, the nurturing parenting curricula with the family, if they did those pre and post tests. Uh, in addition, um, the monitoring specialist conducts a case review. So, you know, he or she will look at the case file, determine if the HIPAA forms have been completed, if all of the required um, forms that you know, we require per, per our contract um, are actually in the file signed by the family. If the worker completed home visits because they are supposed to conduct home visits weekly, two to four hours per week with the family, they look at that. Um, 
And following that monitoring site visit, the monitoring specialist will develop a report. And that report will be sent to Lynn and I, um, as well as um, the agency and the child welfare agency. Um, and, and it identifies if, if, the, if there are no deficiencies and, and the agency is actually, you know, meeting uh, the requirements of the contract or if they are not. And if there are deficiencies found, then they develop a corrective action plan. And it gives that agency the opportunity to work on areas of, you know, that were issues. You know, you know it may be that the staffing did not receive the appropriate training that year that they were required, or they didn't meet the number of families. And and it, it could have been because of staffing. You know, that's often an issue in some of our regions more so than others. So then they have to come up with a plan on how the following year they intend to meet the number of families. Um, so that's that's the monitoring tool that we have so how are those agencies reacting to something like this? I mean, could you give, give me a sense of a before and after about how they were able to kind of make decisions or, 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 or is this becoming something that they've got to really kind of, you know, use a lot of brain power on? Depends. Depends on what the deficiencies are. Um, some deficiencies are things like they were, they, they were one of the contract issues is they have to attend the meetings that we host and they had a death in the family and they were unable to attend. Well, the monitor doesn't know why they didn't attend. They just know they didn't attend. And so that's easy. You write a letter saying this staff member had a death and the family was able. That's an easy fix. But now if you if there are some, you know, mis-expenditures, I don't know if that's a word, but expenditures that are not within the guidelines or if you, um, you know, if you have a staff member that has some big issues, and we've had people in the past that, have been less than reputable, perhaps, and somehow or other got hired. And anything like that that can happen, those are a little bigger. And so then then they do have to use a lot of brain power because what are they going to do? How are they going to make amends? You know, if it's money, usually they have to pay it back. And if it's staffing, then they have to figure out how that, how they go, are they going to ensure that that staff member will then do carry out the job properly. So it depends on, but they will be deemed as that's what they say, deemed, they deemed us. They can be deemed for something as easily, I mean, as simple as I didn't attend this meeting. It's in the contract. I have to, they write it up. That's simple. So it just, it all, it's, there's a big gambit of that. It depends. So I'm curious now um, for that perspective after, you know, years of running this and, and watching the time move forward and, and, and adding to, to new tools, what's that single piece of advice you would give to other program directors out there to ensure effective evaluation? Personally, I have a couple. The first one is you've got to be patient. It doesn't happen in a year. You have to make sure everybody's on the same page, including the child welfare system for us, because that's where we're housed. But, you know, it's just, it has to be, everybody has to be patient until you can see that things are where they should be. There's a lot of changes that you have to make. People have to be willing to change everybody, including the staff in the regions. You know, it, it's really, I think those are the two things that are the biggest, willing, willingness to change. And like in the, as a result of the peer exchange or as a result of the CQI, you have to be willing to change if you're going to make that stuff happen. 
and patience. You got to be patient. Melina probably has a different perspective because she hasn't been here as long. So I don't know. Sometimes that makes a difference too. What do you think, Melina? Well, I agree with that. You know, I think patience and readiness for change because it's so hard. You know, like Lynn mentioned, we're really trying to, you know, change from the peer exchange process to the CQI process. And when folks have, you know, been doing peer exchange for so many years, I mean, CQI is, you know, completely different for them. And so, and it's going, and it's going to take some time. I do think that it's really helped us to have, you know, we have multiple evaluation methods and that really gives us a clearer picture of the services that we're providing to families. You know, we're able to look at our database to see, you know, for instance, if workers are not, um, completing those ASQ screenings for children five and under and the percentage is off, we're able to look at that. And and that was an issue in many of our regions across the state. So Lynn and I went and we trained all of our regions on, you know, and what it was, they just were not, they didn't know how to enter the the data correctly. And, you know, that's, you know, the, the negative side to, you know, a database, you know, sometimes what you enter is not always, you know, representative of the information or the, you know, the data that you collected. So, you know, they just, you know, instead of hitting NA on some of their questions, they were, you know, clicking no, and it automatically assumed that they did not um, complete those evaluations. So, um, so that, I mean, I think that's important. And, you know, we use the monitoring tool, um, I mean, we just have lots of ways. We, we have our client satisfaction survey, so that gives us our qualitative data. So not only do we have quantitative, but we have qualitative data. The various, uh, the various evaluation techniques are, are very beneficial. Yes. Because they give us different data for everything. And that's good. It is. So thank you. Now, if you head over to this episode's webpage at childwelfare.gov, we'll point you to some of the tools that Belina and Lynn mentioned, including the North Carolina Family Skills Assessment Tool, the NICFIS-G, along with Ages and Stages Questionnaire 3 and the Nurturing Parenting Curricula. Now, the other episode focused on evaluation takes a look at how an entire state can evaluate prevention. Now, this can be tricky considering states have different regions with different needs, each implementing different programs. And there is no more challenging a state, perhaps, than California, not only for its diversity, but that it is also a county-administered child welfare system. That episode is live right now, so I encourage you to take a listen to that one as well. We spoke with Hillary Conrad from California's Department of Social Services about the new ways the state is looking at evaluating prevention. So a reminder, if you've got questions about resources, data, best practices, tools for training, or information that you want to share with families, head on over to childwelfare.gov and check out Child Welfare Information Gateway. Or you can reach out to our Information Support Services team at info at childwelfare.gov. My thanks to Lynn Mason and Belina Turner from Kentucky's Division of Protection and Permanency. And my thanks to you for listening in, subscribing, and joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.